Welcome everyone to episode seven of the Cascade podcast. On today's episode, I have a friend of mine, Bobby Housel. Bobby is a business student uh, from the University of Michigan, and he's a strong passion for networking, entrepreneurship, and creative pursuits. He's founded an entrepreneurial community that has over 300 plus entrepreneurial founders uh, ranging across Stanford and Michigan. And he has recently founded a syndicate fund, Founders Cupid, which also backs the young generation of founders um, based on his community. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this conversation today, bro, and let's jump straight into it. Thank you again. I'm so honored and uh, let's do it. I'm stoked. Yeah. So I, the thing that first off, the, the last time we kind of got introduced is you came to Sydney with a good friend as well called Talon and we met in a cafe in Double Bay. Um, and I kind of got a bit of a brief understanding of what Entrepreneur Power Hour, your community project in the US was based on. But could you just tell us a bit more about your first of your experiences with college entrepreneurship and then how that has led you to create um, this community of college founders? Totally. Uh, so I started college and university college in 2019. And what I noticed was that the resources to learn how to become an entrepreneur were pretty siloed and, and siloed and spread out. And so I was coming into university, like pretty confident that I wanted to be a founder. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had started my first company in high school. I'd gone through a program. I'd learned what that was all about. And so when I wound up at university, I was like, great. Like, I want to find out where are the places that I can go to help learn how to build a company. And what was interesting was just that as I explored, like at Michigan, it's there's a new sort of problem in that 20 years ago, entrepreneurship wasn't something widely taught at university, no matter where you were. And now it's, it's very, it's very widely taught. And so you've got like a lot of different choices. You've got incubators, institutes, accelerators, funds that invest in student startups, all kind of spread out on campus. And as I kind of came into college, I was like, you know, what are these, all these resources were vying for my attention almost. And I was going from one to the other, to the next. And meeting some of my closest friends in the process, just seeing where I wanted to engage. And then kind of fast forward, like two years later, I took in a year off from college during a gap year, uh, kind of stepped back during COVID. And I come back and I'm like catching up with all my friends. They've started all these companies over COVID. They're accelerating their growth. And sure enough, I start hosting these little meetups. So this is kind of the birth of the community. It was just like all these kids from all these different parts of campus. I was excited to catch up with them. I'd been away from school for a year. And I started inviting groups and them over, just kind of casual hangouts, thinking in my head, like, you know, all these kids are entrepreneurs. I'm sure even though they're engaging with different parts of entrepreneurship on campus, they probably would have met each other. Turns out I was really wrong. And that like none of these different epicenters of entrepreneurship communicate, communicated with one another. And so when I hosted these things, like the kids that I was bringing together were way more interested in meeting each other than they were catching up with Bobby. And that was kind of like the birthplace of this sort of community where we're bringing together kids like completely changing the world, building insane stuff um, in one place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, really well sums it up. And I know that also you said it's it's like currently at 300 plus right now, but also it started in your University of Michigan and now it's also in Stanford as well. And also you have mm-hmm. plans to also take it across nationwide. Um, but you kind of like, how did you just start to get to a point? Do you, did you just start to go to all the incubators themselves and just bring the people together? Like, how did you get into contact with like the f- first founding uh, people you're connected with? Were they like WhatsApp groups? And then how to like branch out to that and then eventually get your foot to Stanford? Because I know there has to be a connection to get into that huge also institution itself. 
Totally. Yeah, so it started um, pretty organically in that I was pretty methodically one by one. I'd made a spreadsheet. Like I said, at, at Michigan, it's also like Stanford and like a lot of schools, there's a lot of different resources, which is great. I will admit they are primarily targeted towards the, the very early stage entrepreneur. So, mm. you know, once you know what the basics of starting a company looks like, how to build a good product, how to build a co-founder, like a good relationship with a co-founder, um, and you have like some little bit of traction going into the market, like the resources kind of are not optimized to support you, but that's neither here nor there. To answer your question, like I was more or less one by one, I had this spreadsheet of all these resources and I was just like, okay, this week I want to go check out what these guys are doing. This week I want to check out what this organization is doing. And I wound up engaging with a few of them. I went through a couple programs for the ones that were more open. I would kind of just come observe, see who was hanging out. And over the course of, I guess, a year or two, it was just became a thing where anytime that I heard anyone was building something, anytime I heard someone was starting something, I like would go out of my way to go chat with them. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I heard, you know, my friend Michael was trying to build at the time. Uh, he's since built and sold a media company, but he was trying to build a company that would kind of connect the dots between like professors researching and the companies that maybe could use the data that they were researching with. Um, and so like, for instance, he was telling me that, oh, there's like some other kid, Nick, who's building an interesting like hardware product. And I was like, okay, let me go meet Nick or let me go meet the other person. So they kind of one by one, these as I built relationships at each of the different epicenters, the people in those epicenters were like, oh, you know, there's someone else you should meet or, oh, you'd like to do this stuff? Like you meet my friend. And so just kind of by proxy of hanging around these places was kind of how I got to know these people. And then in terms of how we got into Stanford, we got a chance to partner with this podcast, My First Million, which hosted by oh, yeah, Sam yeah. Parr and Sean yeah. Perry, which was a really, really special opportunity for us um, where we got to kind of highlight. First time around, we highlighted five five founders from Michigan. And then the second time around, we, we highlighted four founders from Stanford. But we had this opportunity to go on the pod and we just it got a ton of traction. It performed really well, like relative to their other episodes, which was really great. And a guy named Ananth uh, reached out to me from Stanford afterward, just wanting to connect and chat. And we had a really great conversation. And I kind of expressed like, hey, like, you know, we've talked about trying to build this community elsewhere. Like we know from our market research that this fractured nature exists on other campuses. We know that uh, generally speaking, entrepreneurs find themselves pretty isolated uh, while building their companies at college. And so he was like, dude, I'm, I love what you're doing. Like I'm building my own company. I would love to host some meetups and start to try and break the break the divide here at Stanford. So that's kind of how that happened. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's a that's a very valuable connection that kind of came into play. Uh, and I was, I was going to, we're going to talk more about the My First Million kind of like episode later on because that's also how um, I saw that. And that was, in my opinion, what really stood out to me is impressive. Um, so kudos to that and you. I know that was a big thing for you. So let's like, before we kind of like go into more like detail of like say Founders Cupid, your syndicate fund and all of that, I want to kind of like draw it back and say like innately there has to be someone inside of you that's also got a learning desire to learn because I feel like when you were younger and you can tell me a bit more about your entrepreneurial journey, but you've got a desire to learn and meet new people, to learn from them and connect them. So you've also on another podcast, you don't like to use the term entrepreneurship. So do you classify yourself as an entrepreneur? Um, why or like, why not? Yeah, I just think it started to lose, it started to lose some meaning. Um, Cause I think it's kind of vague. And I also think that 
it's not the worst thing that it's thought to, to lose what it means because I think entrepreneurship mm. truly, to me at least, when I think about it, mm. it is someone who is creating something for themselves by their own volition into the universe. So that's like pretty broad, but I think about people that are building traditional companies. I think about people that are, that are artists and creatives that are telling stories. Um, I think about people that are like writing books that are doing standup, like anyone who is creating something from scratch and they're doing it because they love it and they're chasing it um, with an intense passion, I think is an entrepreneur. I don't love the word just because I think it's, it's been diluted a lot. So as founder, if I had to pick a word that I <laughs> resonate with, uh, yeah. is inventor. Yeah. I think inventor is a word that we've stopped using for some reason. We say people love to say builder, yeah. uh, which is kind of funny and silly. But yeah. I, I think inventor is cool, right? An inventor is someone who like makes something from scratch and like manifests something into the universe. Um, yeah. But I don't know. entrepreneur is not the worst word in the world. But I just think it's one generally speaking people define it too narrowly and then two sometimes it gets the wrong context or it feels sleazy or like oh you're an entrepreneur like what is this fancy word with yeah. those six vowels what does that even mean yeah yeah no i get that it's also like so like you said diluted and also the word inventor it kind of like looks a bit like to the past a bit more and people like don't recognize it anymore it's like inventor is still a very relevant word in today's age um so yeah i think that i like that a lot so with like entrepreneur power hour um how is that structured i know there's a thing called bi-weekly killers so how is you how is your <laughs> community kind of like differentiated from and like goes against the grain of traditional uh communities institutionalized entrepreneurial communities and like why is your one so differentiated and special in that sense totally uh that's funny you picked up on the bi-weekly killers that was something yeah. that a, a handful of people have since picked up on that was Killers is just a word that I use uh, very affectionately to describe someone who is like killing it or like just chasing yeah. a goal relentlessly. So to me, like all my my friends that are entrepreneurs, founders, whatever, are like they're they're killers. Like the kids are just absolute. They're beasts. They're they're like changing what it means to be a student founder. So, uh, yeah, to give context into like what does this community actually look like? As you mentioned, we're at Michigan, we're, we're somewhere hovering around 300 students, including some some alumni who just recently graduated over the last year or two. And then um, at Stanford, much smaller, maybe 40 to 50. So in total, maybe 350 folks. And then we have a whole other subset of people that have joined our online community, which we run in this product called Circle, similar to like a Slack or Discord. Um, we got like another 200 people in there. So who knows what the total count is these days. There's some overlap between all that. Um, but to answer your question about what exactly is different here. So when you look at college entrepreneurship organizations, and this is, I can, I'll speak mostly from my experience in the US, you have primarily a couple different kinds of organizations. You have accelerators, incubators, student-led venture funds, um, and then kind of like entrepreneurship communities. Uh, now, I would say what we do most most aligns with like this idea of a community, but those are all are pretty rare, and they are also tend not to be hyper popular amongst the founders yeah. of the most impressive companies. And what I yeah. mean by that is just that they, from my experience speaking with with people at other schools, don't tend to attract the kids doing the cool stuff. They tend to attract the kids aspiring to do stuff who haven't quite gotten started. No shame on them. 
but the kids that are really heads down working hard are either maybe in one of these like accelerators or incubators or they're just in their dorm room heads down doing their yeah. thing not, not engaging at all and so what i what i set out to create right was i thought that a lot of the founders on campus weren't engaging with any of these resources right they weren't well, engaging with like the communities because the communities weren't really like designed for them they were designed for kids who like wanted to learn about what entrepreneurship was not the kids who were actually doing things um in terms of like the accelerators incubators student-led funds a lot of those were also optimized for people that maybe like wanted to work in venture capital or perhaps like we're using these like opportunities to run these things as like a resume booster. Um, and so the incentive structure was a little bit off, right? So like kids would perhaps join the entrepreneurship club because they thought entrepreneurship was cool and they wanted to be on the executive board of the entrepreneurship club so they could put it on the resume so they could get a job in like banking or consulting. Yeah. Which again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it, it just kind of like goes away from, I think what entrepreneurship is at its core. And so for me, when I started building this community, I already knew all kind of like some of the coolest people doing the most interesting stuff on campus in terms of building companies. And I, I set out to create something that one, like had no incentive structure other than coming to meet the coolest people. Right. So there was no chance for you to like join like an executive team, a leadership team. Cause there was none. It was me. It was just yeah, me at the beginning. Yeah. Um, there was no like dues to be paid. There was no application. So that was another thing that I noticed is that a lot of these organizations had like very prohibitive barriers to entry, right? You had to like be paying dues. You had to be, if you missed a weekly meeting, like you would get thrown mm -hmm. out of the organization. If you, um, you had to go through like three rounds of applications and interviews. And I'm like, if you're building a company, if you're raising money, if you have customers, like you're not going to want to do any of that, right? Like you just want, especially yeah. like, okay, you might do that if you are applying to Y Combinator, but like you're probably yeah. not going to do that for like, the Michigan like accelerator, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're yeah. gonna do that for like tech stars or who I why company, exactly, but you're yeah. not gonna do it for some random thing where you're gonna need five thousand dollars. Like you know, if you're if you're building a real company, five thousand dollars is pennies. You're gonna go raise a hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollar pre seed, right? And like go off yeah. the races. So I was like, how can I just create something where we're not offering anything other than really cool people? There's no barriers to entry. The coolest people will all be there. They can come when they want. They can go when they want. No pressure to do anything other than just come enjoy each other. Uh, and so I think by like completely taking what entrepreneurship had traditionally been and like kind of turning it on its head, yeah. we had a chance to redefine how like these founders. And so like when I talk with kids at other schools, that are, they always say something along the lines of, "Yeah, like you know, the coolest kids are just there. That they're in their dorm rooms with their heads down. Like you know, they don't come out and engage with anything." And I, I'm like. Well, that makes sense because I don't think people, there's many communities like ours that are optimized in this way to get them out of their dorm room and say, hey, like, come when you yeah. want, come when you're not busy. And like, when you do come, you'll feel like loved, you'll feel supported, you will enjoy yourself because the people that are coming are like you, they think like you, they want to support you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, very valuable. And that's the whole point is like, you've, you've now attracted a certain type of caliber of an entrepreneur and a college founder as a result of that. Um, and that the most, I think the most important thing also for young founders is that like they need that like really similarity to bond over with. And if there's not in that environment to do it, they're never going to like step outside their room or like they're going to, why would they go to the accelerators when they're not going to like receive the stimulation to even like find it valuable? Um, yeah. And you kind of also briefly touched upon it there that like you said it, but like this is the ironic thing is that you've also kind of like received backing. Some of your founders have received backing from companies also like Y Combinator. Uh, on deck contrary uh textiles and z fellows all that different stuff um 
how did these like partnerships come about and like how did that benefit the community of founders like i know there's some top guys who have got that how did that come to be because i know those are some huge companies um that's a lot to go to the name of yeah the community absolutely yeah so i mean you threw out like a handful of the most well-respected incubators accelerators in the country and these again are like much bigger not to not to shame we have met there are actually some really, really talented and amazing student incubators and accelerators that are run by students, but obviously the ones that you just mentioned are much more critically acclaimed and run by professionals, founders themselves. Um, and in terms of how these relationships kind of came about, it's all credit to our founders. Like this is this is where where I get to like kind of just take my hands off and like applaud the people that we're supporting because these these um, accolades that they've received joining these communities, these accelerators, incubators fellowships are are 100 credit to them um, we have had i think two companies go through y combinator now we've had a couple go through Techstars, um and and all those other those names you mentioned as well so it's 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 100 credit to them just taking the time filling out applications building really meaningful products finding great product market fit and then you know getting the accolades they deserve uh, in turn yeah yeah i mean basic fundamental principles but coming into play now we did also kind of touch upon in the beginning as well with uh my first million um but when did like i've i don't think anyone's kind of asked us yet but when out of curiosity did it like actually hit you that like the opportunity actually came and like okay this is gonna happen and then like how did you actually find because i watched it there was like five um pitch decks for one episode and then you also did two episodes and mm-hmm. some of the founders, I kind of briefly, I will kind of talk more about it, but in, incredible, incredible startups. But how did that like come to process and the fruition of it? And like, it actually hit you like, okay, I'm going to do this. And how did it come to the table? Yeah. So one of my, one of the first friends I ever met um, in college that was an entrepreneur is my friend, Michael. And we met in the fall of 2019, literally right when I, one of the, I joined two organizations the fall. I joined a, a professional organization that was like a networking community and I joined an entrepreneurship community. Um, and through that, there's kind of one of a bunch. I was kind of, like I mentioned, going between all these other organizations and checking them out, but I joined one um, where I had to apply and get in whatever. And one of my friends, Michael, uh, became like a, a lifelong friend and he has since been like kind of riding alongside me all throughout college and has always stayed close. Um, he's actually now living down here in Austin with me and we were just catching up the other day. But anyways, uh, he had been scaling and growing his media company. And along the way, like he's been doing content for like young business minded Gen Zers. And so he built a relationship with the guys from My First Million and one of their guys that does their growth, uh, growth work for them was mentioning that he wanted to do an episode where he highlighted some college founders. And Michael was like, well, dude, you should talk to Bobby. Like he knows all of them. Yeah. That's flattered. Uh, and admittedly, like, I feel like I should be a podcast guy, but I actually don't consume a ton of podcasts. I had heard of my first million primarily because one of our founders named Jake had been t- spoken about on my first million on, on a, a couple of occasions. He started this viral sex chocolate company, which. Oh yeah. Uh, actually yeah. Was- yeah. He pitched yeah. on uh, his new company on um, the first episode that we did with My First Million. And so anyways, uh, Michael was like, talk to Bobby. I, I met with the growth guy. He expressed like what they wanted to do. I said, yeah, absolutely. And this was probably back in like November of, of last year. And so I didn't I, I fully did not realize like to what 
how big of a listenership that my first million had and into like how how diehard their audience was and like how engaged like it was it was wild i wouldn't find that yeah. out until later until people started yeah uh kind of like uh <laughs> reaching out to me and and, and giving me praise and i was like wow this is awesome but anyways like it came to fruition actually on my birthday we recorded the episode on my oh, birthday and it was damn. it was i had like i had an exam um the day before and so i was very much i like i remember the day before i was like running around like testing i was trying because we we did it on riverside as well um yeah we were doing like everything was, I was trying to make sure we had like the space that we were going to record it in like wasn't wasn't working out so we like went to like this other space and so many moving parts wasn't even sure like how it was going to come together luckily for me it all did and it yeah. was just like kind of it was on me it was like all of a sudden it was just there like we're recording it and i guess i had no idea like what a big deal it would be if it was like the birthday yeah. present that just kept giving um and it, it, it came out like I don't know, two and a half weeks later, and I was right around Christmas time. Um, and I was with my girlfriend and her family. And I literally had to take like a day where I just like spent the day replying to people. Because when it first came out, I probably had people all over the world, uh, emails, yeah. Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube comments, like yeah. every single angle. I had never been like that popular yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. Never had. I mean, it, and people were just saying like, hey, we love what you're doing. We want to get involved. Like, how do we help you keep it? I was like, wow, like it just meant the world to hear that support and to hear people like get it when it comes to like trying to, to support people like, like the yeah. gentleman that we saw pitch on the show. And so it was a, uh, it was a really special thing. Yeah, no, nah, it was incredible. And I was watching it and I was like, whoa, this is, um, I think I was with everybody could say I was generally impressed. I was just sitting there like, wow, they're like the like the selected handful. I know you went through the application process. And you selected like say like top twenty, and like it was just super refined. But um, also disclaimer: anyone that doesn't really know, my first million is like is like in the top like ten business podcasts right now. Is like yeah, easily in I there, think right? So. It's yeah, like right up there with uh, all in, um, yeah, accelerated all those other good shows. Yeah, like this is not like a little podcast. This is a big podcast. Um, and this was a very engaging and interactive video because it showcased like the raw of college founders. And by the way, I don't think also accelerators of that sort in the Michigan side of it could have actually never given that opportunity. And that's what also yeah, Sam, I, they were saying like, we've never seen this before because they had literally never had access to this. Yeah, it's, it's like, I think, like I said, there are a couple we're hosting yeah. actually a, an event at the end of uh, or at the beginning of August where we're bringing together some of the good the good accelerators and incubators from across college and and we're bringing together the leaders of them. Yeah. So there are really good ones, but generally speaking, the majority are trying to teach students things. Um, when I just think that that's maybe asserting value in the wrong place, like. I am nowhere near as successful as the people that I support, right? And so yeah. for me to try and teach them is like is, is kind of a silly thing. So instead, we focus on just like, how can we build a really strong community for them to interact with people that are of their same caliber, thinking like they do, doing the same stuff? And then how do we like open the doors up and like connect the dots? Like I think as a community builder, basically my job is to unlock doors, put the key in, get people in front of the right people, make the right introductions, and that's kind of like what the My First Million thing was. It was me leveraging my network, my relationship with Michael, who thought of me and, and, and said, you know, I want to I wanna help you do this. And so that's kind of how we've thought about what we do is like, we're, our job is not to teach these individuals anything. Like, in fact, we would be 
not the best equipped to do that. Yeah. There's far better resources. Go, go check out YC startup school. Like all I need to do is just kind of like unlock the doors, connect the dots and like put these kids in front of the right people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's also the art of being connected as a networker, um, bringing people together in the right way. Um, so you also, you kind of talked about there as well is my, is Michael the founder of, uh, tabs? Uh, that is Jake and Oliver. Michael's the founder oh, yes. of something called our future. He our was future. the one, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Our future HQ is I'm sh you've probably seen their videos. They're very yeah, much probably. optimized for like, um, telling the stories of, of like business leaders in short form. Awesome. Awesome. So that's awesome. Um, and also kind of like, can I ask this? Is it like, could you list some of like maybe the top startups that are actually in entrepreneur power right now before we yeah, jump into like certainly. Cupid? Um, yeah. I can, it depends on how you want to define top, but I can, I yeah. can throw out a few of the success stories and like the, the traditional term. Like yeah. success. So, um, Jake, um, and his co-founder Oliver are right now in the process of finalizing the sale of tabs as sex chocolate viral oh, wow. D2C e-commerce business. Yeah. Um, friend of mine, Sid, um, sold his company channels. There's a TechCrunch article about it, about shoot. I don't know. Sid probably sold a year and a half ago. Um, Michael, the gentleman I was mentioning, he just sold his company, uh, our future to morning brew, uh, which is a popular business media outlet owned by business insider in the States. Um, Two of the founders that are currently living with me uh, just raised $200,000 for their fintech AI company, Ultima Insights. Um, some guys started a nonprofit technology company, which is really unique, uh, that was also pitched on My First Million called oh, yeah. um, Internet Activism. Yeah. They have done some of the crazy stats. I yeah. have down somewhere, but like, housed over 200,000 um, unsheltered people across Ukraine um and turkey like during mm. the earthquake and, and during the war um they've tr they like the the builders behind the original like, covid tracker and the very beginning yeah. of dr Fauci was was giving great praise to and i mean I, the list goes on and on I, I look at our like database of the people that were engaging and the people that were supporting and it's just like wow like these guys yeah. are these guys and gals are absolutely just nuts yeah yeah no it's insane it's incredible and also like you also you wouldn't you also wouldn't know if like also like um it was this sam on the my first million also he was interested in a was it a b2b software company for um uh freight or like international freight yeah yeah did that yeah, actually... sean sean yeah sean wound sean. up investing yeah yeah he, did he? it was oh, kind okay. of funny yeah if you listen on the pod you hear him say like you know this is great i don't know if you're gonna win but i want to invest in you and yeah i listened to it i'm like oh that's funny like you know, you, you hear you hear him say that, and you're like, "Oh, that's probably just for entertainment." But no, like he definitely did. He did. Uh, Damn, he ended up okay. investing in Jason. Um, that's... All of like a week later, he sent him sent him a term sheet. Boom, done. Like that was it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome because I was wondering. I was like, "Damn, do you actually invest in it or not?" And that's pretty sick. He kept to his word and actually did it. Wow. Okay. Kudos yeah. to there goes that that guy. That guy with that company, they're doing they're doing well. I haven't caught up with him in a bit, but he he raised uh, a very substantial amount of money i think north of 300k uh usd like almost immediately after the that podcast aired wow like, there were people there, and there are people that that were coming from all over who wanted to invest in him which was pretty nuts and uh, same thing with a couple of the other startups like they got a lot of attention as well they didn't wind up raising off of it but 
yeah. Jason was positioned in a place where he wanted to raise anyways, and then yeah. the podcast just like was the perfect stars and the moon aligning where he very easily then accelerated his raise. Yeah, I mean, that's about publicity. Like, those guys would get crazy offers just from that exposure. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to like ramble on a bit more, but before we get to like Founders Cupid, but the Stanford guys as well, there was one guy that actually I think was a uh, LinkedIn, alter, not, uh, was it a hiring company as well? That was yeah. insane. Simplify, yeah. Simplify. Yeah, I, I mean, probably again, when we talk about success stories, like one of the most bonkers, like they've been killing it. Uh, they raised four four mil. Yeah, um, like ridiculous. I don't know. I, th- I don't know if that was pre-seed or seed at, at a pretty pretty ridiculous evaluation. And then they've serviced like over three hundred thousand people that have applied for, gosh knows how many jobs. Like insane, insanely talented individual. He wound up winning the the Stanford pitch contest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's what I just sort of touched on that. That's incredible. I saw that and I was like, wow, these guys are so far light years ahead. And they're they also they're staying at the Stanford campus and they're not even studying anymore because they dropped out, but they're still sitting on yeah. the housing. It's hilarious. Um, so funny. It's so good. Um, so, like this kind of ties in as well. So you kind of the exposure that that even got for from Entrepreneur Powerhouse also translated to you recently co-founded with your co-founder Barry, um, a thing called Founders Cupid. It's a syndicate fund, um, and now it allows like your network to directly back the college founders. Um, and alumni and angel investors and also a bit of VC. But could you tell us a bit more about like what is Founders Cupid and how did the syndicate like come to be? Absolutely, yes. So what we noticed was that there are a couple of things that our our founders were struggling with. One, primarily community, right? Like they weren't up until we started this community in Michigan, they just simply were not meeting each other. Um, They were building in isolation. And then two was that... um, the resources at college and university were very optimized for just helping them get going. And then after that, uh, you know, when it was time to go raise some serious money, scale up, build, uh, maybe hire their first engineer, the school was like, you know, we we're not, that's not really what we're optimized to help you. And so yeah. a couple of the problems we saw along with that is when our, when our founders and startups did get to that level was, you know, the idea of raising a friends and family round like this, just by dialing up mom, dad, and like your wealthy uncle is like a yeah. pretty, it's a pretty like unique thing. And it, I don't think it's true for most people. Like, in fact, like most of my friends, including myself, like don't have like a random like <laughs> uncle and a handful of yeah. friends. Like maybe, maybe one day, probably when we're all older, like we'll be able to dial each other up and maybe our kids will be able to call us and like do that if we're, if we're successful enough, which would be cool. But for the most part, like especially kids coming from the Midwest, like Michigan is not a hub for a lot of venture money. It's not a hub for a lot of startups, although it is growing. And so that just means that for kids that are not from the Bay area, from not from the East coast, um, or just don't have these relationships, like building that raising that friends and family around is a foreign thing. Plus there's no one there that's guiding them. And so kind of among the biggest problems that, that we were trying to address were like, one, um, kids weren't raising the money they needed to get going. And ideas were getting abandoned a little bit prematurely, not because the idea wasn't good or they didn't have traction in product market fit. They just didn't know where to go get the money they needed. And, and these yeah. season, West, unlike the, the West Coast, tend not to be super bullish on investing pre-revenue. They love to see a little revenue. And so for a lot of these like pre-seed companies who didn't have revenue yet, it was hard for them to raise the money they needed. And then secondly, um, they just didn't have like, what's the right word? They weren't getting put up on like, a pedestal. They weren't getting like asymmetric uh, attention. 
unless they happen to punch a ticket into like a Techstars or Y Combinator. But if they were stuck in the Midwest, they weren't getting put on podcasts like My First Million. They weren't getting mm. highlighted on like a big scale, which is kind of this next phase of Founders Cupid. We're building out our own media platform and trying mm. to, to highlight these stories more virally, more regularly. But to answer your question, like the syndicate primarily was like, hey, we know that these individuals are having a little bit more trouble than they should be raising capital. They're building really exceptional things and they're not failing because they're not building great stuff. They're failing just in part because the school is not helping connect the dots once they start to get to a stage yeah. of growth. And so we're like, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like we know for a fact that Michigan has the biggest living alumni network of any university in the world. Yeah. There are hundreds of thousands of, of VCs, of GPs, of LPs, of angel investors. Like there are, there are hundreds of thousands of people that would love to support these founders but simply like the school isn't connecting the dots to make these introductions happen. And so he said, you know, like, you know, screw that. Like we will, if they don't want to do it, we'll do it. We'll reach out to these alumni. We'll reach out to anyone and anyone who's interested in the top college founders. And like, we'll make the introductions happen uh, through the syndicate. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Um, as also, it's, 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 it's actually kind of crazy. I also like Michigan has the resources, but they're not like utilizing it. Like, um, which is for me, it mind blows me because like the, what that costs to do for the brand of the university and the institution is insane. Um, but I don't know, I'm also not from the U S so I can't kind of express yeah. my word entirely, but it's a shame. Like it's not, it's not just Michigan either. Yeah. There is a, a drastic unnecessary separation that most universities see between their alumni and their students. Yeah. And I think there's a weird fear that somehow this is going to like reflect negatively on do on donation dollars because I don't know if this is as much the case in Australia, but I actually don't think it is. Yeah. But U.S. universities are, are heavily, heavily, heavily dependent yeah. on alumni donation dollars. Um, if it's all public, you can you can re you can read the read the, the numbers and it, it'll blow your mind. But like there's this weird fear, like, for instance, I just wanted with the syndicate, you know, we're, we were helping raise two, two pre-seed rounds for two startups in Michigan last yeah. semester. And I just wanted the alumni Institute to publish a little note in their, in their, or sorry, not the alumni, but the, the entrepreneurship Institute. I wanted them to publish a little note about what we were doing in their alumni newsletter, just like super low stakes, right? Like, Hey, Bobby and Bear are building this thing. Like, if you want to learn more, check out their website, reach out to them. They wouldn't even do that for me wow. because they were somehow, they were somehow worried that we were going to like somehow interfere with potentially their ability to to raise donations perhaps for their ability to like do what they do i'm not entirely sure what the logic was um, but they're very what i can say with certainty is they're very 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 protective over these relationships with alumni because that's like that is their primary customer if you think about it like i I could be I could be botching this, but I, I I'm almost certain that the money that comes in from alumni every year far exceeds in the 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 revenue that's brought in by like student tuition and really? student tuition for for out of wow. state out of state students pay somewhere around sixty thousand dollars a year to go yeah. to, to Michigan USD in state students pay a little close to like thirty or forty yeah um, but I mean they're raising millions billions of dollars mm. uh, in donations every year which is a whole nother conversation and so the point is just like there were a lot of un there's a lot of untapped value that the point is also that like 
us helping these startups raise capital from alumni and from anyone who's interested in them is not going to affect donations. It simply isn't like high net worth people have a wallet for donations and they have a wallet yeah. for investing and those are two different wallets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been a pleasure and it's been really fun to try and connect the dots and say like, Hey, like there's a lot of untapped connections. And like, again, as, as, as community builders, my job is just to try and like connect the dots and make, make stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, very true. Um, and so with, um, founders Cupid, how would a founder actually get access to that? Is it connected to entrepreneur power directly to the community? Um, so do you have to go through the community of entrepreneur power first to get into founders Cupid? And then you have like a selecting, uh, process for that. How would a founder also go through founders Cupid to raise capital? So it's, it's a really good question. And, and the answer is changing pretty constantly. So right now the way we have it broken up is entrepreneur power hour is a registered nonprofit. yeah and founders cupid is a for-profit company it's a for-profit like management holding company um which collects the carry that is generated on a syndicate and so we are kind of moving i think we're moving away from the non-profit side of things and in truth i've learned that as noble as starting a non-profit is in the united states it is very limiting in a lot of ways and yeah. you'll hear very successful people say this a lot which is if you're trying to like create the most impact you should be building a for-profit company and yeah. that doesn't mean that you have to have excessively egregious like straws on salaries or anything like that in fact some in some nonprofits have you look at the people that run nonprofits in america and you and you look at their salaries you're like whoa this is mm. ridiculous. this is a nonprofit really but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, we're moving towards just kind of housing everything underneath Founders Cupid. And re also, Entrepreneur Power was a, was a very random name that, that just kind of like, again, this community, it started inadvertently. It was never meant to be a, a company. It was never meant to be a business venture. I just love bringing people together, and I was just doing that. And then it transitioned, and it kept going. It kept growing and scaling without me, like, really putting any effort in and realizing yeah. that, like, whoa, there's something here. Like, I should take this more seriously. And so the name was very random. It was very silly as a story there for another time. But um, we're, th we're moving towards like branding everything underneath Founders Cupid, especially as we move away from just being at Michigan and trying to connect the dots on a nationwide level. Yeah. And to answer your question about like how do people get involved, it is definitely it is like you come through this community. Like we want to engage people that are looking to build strong relationships with other, with other great founders. And then from there, it's it's kind of been like a, I don't want to say a cherry picking situation, but it's like, okay, like within this community, who who is looking to raise capital and is like at the appropriate stage to do it? And who can we plug into our existing network of people that we've connected with? Like we came in with zero LPs, like my co-founder and I knew no investors. It was 100% cold outreach. And now we've got a nice little base of people that we know are willing to look at our deals. Um, and with that, that base needs to grow like very, very much so. Like we didn't raise nearly as much money as we wanted to for the first two startups we supported, but yeah. we were able to get them something, which was great. Um, and so, yeah, the, there's no great, there's no like super strong, clear rule. Like, but generally speaking, like these these founders have to come through our community. We have to support them at some point. Um, it's not like we're just going to like get offered a random deal and syndicate that. Um, we are primarily supporting like the people that are that are in our community. Yeah, no, that's very smart. I like I also laid out the umbrella factor of it. Like we eventually build it from Founders Cupid, which transitioned to for profit. Um, and also I do agree on the fact where nonprofit is valuable, but it also goes so far. Like you said before, it's like 
for profit actually you can make a bigger impact for, through for profit just because you have more capital to use as resources and i've also kind of figured that as well um so it's also like how you look at it and where you actually delegate that capital and where you put the capital but yeah i really like i really like how you can do it laying it out for the future bro. i really like it thank you so before we like kind of like nearly go towards the other aspect of it you are i know you also want to look to expand founders cupid in itself and you've also had alongside the the backing of companies like y combinator and as such you've also had like appearances as in cnn and stuff like um business insider forbes and vice so like how is that media kind of like kind of expanded like do you have any other media forms or do you have any like future partnerships for like my first million in upcoming do you have any deals of that sort to expand that range or is it kind of like all a bit on the silent right now yeah that's a great question and it's a good transition to kind of like what the future of this organization looks like so yeah our our founders have been featured in, in in publications more numerous than i can count or even name all the likes that you've heard um the 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 tech crunches the forbes the cnn's um the list goes on and on and 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 now we ourselves are, are beginning to grow our own traction like we've been featured like i mentioned of course on my first million um in a pretty well-known sub stack with the thousands of readers called founder to founder um the platform that we syndicate deals on sidecar wrote an article about us like we are starting to get our own little media presence around what we're trying to do with founder stupid and uh and so very flattered there but the future is is a world where we own the keys to these so you mentioned like are we go, are we looking to do more partnerships with my first million like absolutely if 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 Jonathan, uh, the growth guy from from my first million, calls me and says, "Bob, like we want to do a new episode," like of course uh, he knows that that I'm, I'm more than willing to do that. And now we have strong relationships with community builders and founders from schools across the country. So if he wants to do one at like UNC or like NYU, I now have the I have the the groundwork in place to to make that happen, which is awesome. But moving forward, like what we're trying to do is to continue to think around how we can support these individuals like the way we see it is there's a gap right yeah if you are like a very early stage founder you're just trying to learn what entrepreneurship is the universities have you covered but as i mentioned once you burn through those resources and you like scale it up and you're going to market like there are for the most part there are there's a couple exceptions maybe like a stanford maybe like a babson but 90 percent plus of schools do not have resources to support you as you scale up and so you've got a point where like, okay, I, the school's resources are no longer valuable. I'm ready to scale up, but I'm also maybe not ready to drop out. Cause at once a point you, when you drop out and you don't come back to school, you like ship it out to San Francisco or wherever, like there's, there's resources out there to support you. And so there's like this, this gap here where it's like, okay, I'm not ready to drop out yet, but I have traction and I, the school is no longer helping me. Um, like, and, and I'm still going to be building my company at my university. This is kind of where we're trying between this point and when they actually drop out is where we want to yeah. try and support these factors. And as I mentioned, like they don't need education contrary to popular <laughs> belief, what they really need community, of course, um, and a chance to like have asymmetric attention. And so what I mean by that is like, when we put those kids on my first million, a lot of good things happen for them. A lot of doors opened, a lot of fundraising opportunities opened, a lot of hiring opportunities opened. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about like some of the biggest challenges that the founders at that stage kind of run into, it comes around fundraising, hiring, um, and drastically expanding their customer base. And so what we're trying to do is build out our own media platform, 
not all that different than like what you saw when we were on this My First Million podcast, where we can highlight these founders' stories in our community in a very meaningful and sincere way. And so that we can we can open up the doors for them to go find that first engineer they have to they have to hire. We can go open up the doors for them to find their first 10 investors, their first 100 customers um, in a very like asymmetric way uh, with, with a lot of eyeballs. And so that is kind of the next phase. Like we're building relationships now, not just at Michigan, but with the best founder communities across the country. And the idea is like once we do that, we can take all these individuals, build really, really meaningful in-person community. Again, everyone comes to community. Community is is at that is the core, the yeah. life of this. Like these people should meet each other and their relationships will propel them forward. But yeah. then afterwards it's like, okay, how can we keep supporting them? Is that like maybe through the syndicate? Is it through this media platform where we can put a lot of eyeballs on them? Um, that will also help us revisit the syndicate or just raise a more traditional fund. Um, we want to have more people coming to us, more eyeballs. So the future is a world where we're trying to put these individuals on blast and continue to get them in front of some of the most exciting um, kind of like consumers of media and entrepreneurship tech space as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, if anybody's listening to this, this is insanely powerful stuff. So uh, I had to like give you credit to this. It's actually insane. Um, and I also, I also resonate a lot with the media side, like the exposure in general will also just service so many more opportunities. And I feel like this is, that's your, that's your, your, that's your gateway to like huge growth. Like it's just the media. If you can really crack down and dominate the media side and crack that, I mean, like the sky's the limit. And also like, I know as well as it has to be also community members inside of it also providing each other opportunities. Cause I know there's a lot of, you said you go across all verticals. So you got guys like in the sex chocolate space, web three, um ai fintech like you've got different verticals and like those interests all converge so when they're like saying referring engineers or uh investors um i think that's a super powerful aspect of it now let's kind of like go into a more of a personal side to kind of like yourself is you're also a published author so how did you become a published author and like how did you why did you decide to release a book bro what did you what made you come to that fruition yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, writing was one of the first things I ever realized that I loved to do. Mm. Um, in in middle school, there was a weird program that I that I got involved with where like it was like competitive writing. You would have you would like you would go into a room on like a on a Saturday with a bunch of other students, and you would have like an hour to like write a compelling short story about a random topic. You'd like go in, and they would write up like a random prompt on the board. It was like okay go write a cool story about it. And I was like, damn, this is cool. <laughs> and so I kept writing throughout throughout middle school, going into high school. And then I joined like a fellowship in high school where we were required to produce a certain amount of output. We were given an advisor uh, from the English department who helped us cultivate our style and like what kind of writing we would, would later fall in love with. We took like, we had to take a couple creative writing classes. Um, it was super formative. I loved it. Like super grateful to my teachers, to my advisor completely kind of pushed me down this road of writing and storytelling. And so by the time I landed at college and university, I had a lot of stuff backed up. I, I've always kind of shifted towards the the mediums of short stories and poetry. And so I had a lot of work that was kind of sitting on my computer and I was like, this is great and all, but I don't really know what to do with it. And then I met um, my current roommate and a ter terrific founder he's the gentleman I mentioned just raised $200,000 for his fintech AI company. And, and this guy had published his own book. He not only published, I think at the time, maybe he'd only published one. Now he's since published three or four. And he kind of, he's like, 
you know, it's so cool that you have all this, all this work that you have backlogged. Like, why don't you do something with it? I'm like, do something with it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, you can, you can pretty easily publish this. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, of course, like you could try and court a relationship with the Penguin Random Houses, which for those Australians, like one of the biggest book publishers in America, probably also Australia. Oh yeah. yeah Penguin. Um, yeah. 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 Penguin. Right. And so. Uh, you could, of course, try and court a relationship w with one of these massive publishing houses, but kind of good luck, right? Like if you're a young mm -hmm. author who hasn't published before, especially, unfortunately, if you're writing short stories and poems, like my friend Noah and I were, um, like, you know, good luck. There's just not a big market for actually people that want to read short stories and poems. People tend to gravitate towards novels, biographies, um, et cetera. And so anyways, he's like, you know, that's that would that would be a really tough and upward battle not that it's impossible uh, i think no and i both have like some strong work behind us but yeah it would be super challenging it's like instead listen you have 100 percent control of it there's a handful of places whether it be like barnes and noble is a big one in the us um, amazon is of course we've all heard of and these outlets will allow you to put together all of your work very very concisely put it together and publish it and and completely design everything from from first page to last page and then set the price, um, set the color that is printed in, like literally everything. And you have complete control and ownership over it, which I thought was really cool. And so that is how I wanted to publish my first book. I published a collection of my favorite short stories and poems all centered around like what it's like to live um, and the stories that exist in the rural blue collar America, which is a place that has like a special, special spot in my heart. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the lesson here is just like, nothing is that, like nothing is probably as far away out of your grip as you think. Uh, yeah. Publishing a book seems like a crazy feat. And it, and it is like, I'm super proud. Like you have to have the writing. Like I had 200 pages of writing that I could draw from and like distill down and edit and, and have friends revise. And then I was like, okay, now it is a matter of like consolidating in, into the book. But like uh, things that seem impossible are probably not that impossible when you sit yeah. down and like, really try and figure it out so that was kind of the story there yeah that's awesome i mean also like you said it goes it was actually one of your first foundational like interests like writing and creative pursuits kind of like was the foundation of your journey 100%. um and i like that you said at the end there that um about just going for it because my next question leads to of course your adventure side so this is like a huge one so i want to talk more about this which in my opinion when i saw this i was like okay this guy's crazy and this is the first actually for the first video i saw before i met you when you came to sydney was that i think it was a Cannes film festival and then the, <laughs> the f1 grand prix in monaco and then also what was the other one it was um, uh we went to the french open the tennis tournament french open yeah yeah tell me tell me about how you um go about these opportunities because you also you don't you don't also you get access to all this stuff notably with no charge so you get access to all these different things it was forbes 30 under 30 was another one uh warren buffett peter Thiel, bill ackman stuff like that how do you get access to these sort of things and like that opportunities arise in your life yeah i think so for context uh if you want to like watch some of these stories and yeah. get a sense of what he's talking about like i share them pretty publicly on my instagram i think I'm not actually super obsessed with the idea of growing a following on social media, although I think it's mm -hmm. a very useful thing to do and, and like should be spent like some time should be spent around cultivating like the stories you want to share and rep how you want to represent yourself. But more so, I, I find it very valuable just to kind of like tell your intimate, like kind of a thousand 
1500 friends whatever they might be like what you what you're up to and like what you what you care about so i i like to share my stories primarily through video on instagram and and to answer your question like i i think a lot of the people that i've met in at college and university like these amazing entrepreneurs have inspired me um they've also put me on to other like, great thought leaders people like tim ferris um people like alex benayan people um, like Elliot Biznow, like some of these like amazing entrepreneurial business influencers and leaders. And I think at some point I just realized I, I, I can't really like pick out a moment when it kind of clicked for me. But at some point I realized that like in life, there are really no rules except for the ones that yeah. you assign to yourself. Yeah. And so I just started kind of, I think I was always an optimist and I've, I've always been like a, a dreamer, a visionary. I just had someone tell me that like, my co-founder and I are probably have a really good dynamic because like, I'm very much like a crazy dreamer innovator and he's mo much more like an operator. He's like, okay, that's a crazy cool idea. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, let's, let's dial it back like five degrees and like create something that's a little bit more manageable and let's go execute, which is I think really healthy and, and like a co-founder relationship. But for me, when it comes to like these experiences, as you mentioned, like I was able to go to like the Cannes film festival, which is probably the most exclusive, um, hard to get into film festival you have to be invited you can't even buy tickets i was able to go completely for free and, and get an accreditation as like a young filmmaker which was really cool i was able to in the same weekend i was able to go to the, the mm -hmm. monaco grand prix uh also completely for free which is like one of the probably the most notorious f1 race in, yeah. in the world very fancy like <laughs> yachts and yeah. suits and and like was like a bucket list thing for me and then yeah. like the next the day after that my friend and i caught a train to paris and we were able to go it's to the, the french open just by sending a couple of cold emails networking and, and managing to find someone who had an extra ticket they were willing to share with us so the point just being like i can i'm happy to dive into like how exactly these these stories went down it's not necessarily super important generally speaking lots of cold emails, mm -hmm. uh, lots of determination, knowing that there's always a backdoor way in and, and that people are way more willing to help you in like into these things than you would realize. Like for the Forbes 30 under 30 summit, again, like the tick, the sticker price was like six, 700 bucks to get in. Um, and I was able to build a, a strong relationship with the president. I'm in like a business fraternity, which is like a kind of a professional, unlike a traditional like social fraternity, it's much more a professional organization. Long story short, um, I built a really strong relationship with the CEO of our, of our national business fraternity. And I knew that he was trying to do more stuff around media. And I was like, Hey, like my friend and I would love to go on like behalf of the business fraternity and go to like the Forbes 30, like we'll make a bunch of content. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so like, that was like one of basically we were casting like, you know, yeah. 10, 20 different rods at the time. Like, yeah. okay, we can, we can like email Forbes and we can ask them for like a chance. We can like ask our friend Michael, if maybe he can get us a media pass. Essentially we're throwing like a bunch of, a bunch of uh of like fishing lines in the water and like waiting to see which one would would would, would pull cool yeah uh, and so yeah i think at, at some point i just realized that look like nothing is impossible if you if you just spend like it takes time and effort it really does like for me to get to get cans was such a long journey i was playing yeah. for like over a year and like nothing was working and i couldn't figure out how to get in and i couldn't figure out how to get an accreditation and then all of a sudden a couple a couple of like key things opened up and I found this backdoor way in and I got an accreditation and then I got an email that was like, yo, you've been accepted. Like you can come. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is nuts. So the, the kind of the, the sum it all up is just like, listen, like you can figure it out. It takes time. It takes effort. You have to be willing to like get your hands dirty and do crazy stuff and like get outside your comfort zone and reach out to people and build relationships. But like, 
it is it is really possible like i'm dead set like man if you want to get a free a free like if you want to be on the next um commercial like space orbit of our planet like or orbit of the moon like you like i truly believe you can do it if you if you're willing to spend mm-hmm. the time and effort you can probably do it for free too yeah yeah that's super powerful stuff and also i think the biggest thing in that regard is like you said is throwing how many fishing lines into the opportunities like you just got to throw so many different opportunities for yourself i think most people don't even actually have the optimism to even do it like it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy of i'm not it's not going to happen so i'm not even going to try um i think that's the biggest downfall and like i i don't do it enough as well i'm trying to also do it more like actually throw more opportunities to myself like that because you'll be surprised like i think it's like you throw a 10 you get one back but at least you get that one back because you actually threw the and go into the back door um and i think that's super super valuable and just like, in general and that's why your network just plays such an important role so my last question for you is it kind of like plays onto this is you kind of also you put it in as well but what truths do you hold to self um to be self-evident in this crazy world we live in it's oh, a really good question then <laughs> um, i think a couple a couple of things uh, yeah one one that was actually recent i think we're gonna this might become the new founders cupid slogan because i really like it all but, right all right uh, adventures and I'm also ripping this. This is not, not probably none of the things I'm about to say are, are Bobby Housel originals. So yeah. Find out who said these things and give them credit for them. Um, but like adventures only come to the adventurous. Nothing is impossible. There are no rules. I think generally speaking, just like treat people with kindness and be like, don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not that deep. Facts. Like, yeah. I think, I think people think about networking sometimes like it's a yeah, matrix and it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's really not. Like, yeah. It's like, be, be kind to people. Yeah. Like, dude, I even felt shitty because it took me forever to get back to you. And I was like so flattered that you wanted to chat no, yeah. um, on the pod. And like sometimes people think about like networking as if it's this weird mm. like mm. game. And it's like, yeah, it can be gamified, certainly. Mm. Mm. But at the end of the day, just like, find people that you want to spend time with and, and find a way to treat them really well. Mm. And they will, they will like Facts. provide 10 X value back to you. Facts. Um, I don't know. Those are just like maybe a perhaps uh, a couple of my, my life mottos. Yeah. I love them. I love those life mottos. Um, also like networking. I completely agree. I think people like people do try to gamify it. Um, I think I found a va- found valuable was I just realized one day it's like, I'm just gonna meet everybody that I possibly can, and I'm just gonna make really good friendships and just net and just not even network, just like be genuine. Like I think everyone has their self impressions of like what people think about and like the stereotypes people put buckets into people, and it's absolute like it's it's honestly a bunch of shit. And it's like you should just meet people and just build genuine relationships, uh, because you'll learn something from everybody you meet, and that's things that's super valuable. I think. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. I think that's a good thing to wrap up the episode, and um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on here, bro. So. Uh, even though it was kind of a short one, but I respect your time and I um, hope that we kind of like got out all the value in regards to your community, Founders Cupid and like just who you are. So I appreciate your time, bro. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Like very excited to see where the pod keeps going and, and keep grinding. Dude, I appreciate you. Yeah. Also, you got to start a pod. I was like, I was just thinking this. Is, is, do you have any intentions to or what's yeah. your... Okay, 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 okay. I was so about we... to say... We're, we're, we're trying to figure it out right now. So yeah, right now I'm living in, in a house with uh, seven yeah. other founders for the summer, which has been really fun. And yeah. two, two of our founders, um, I guess we have, we have eight, seven full-time people. We have an eighth guy who, who's joining us part-time and 
two of those individuals uh, already run an interesting pod. You'd actually really, you would appreciate their kind of thesis. Their whole thesis of their pod is like, how do we show kids what life looks like outside the traditional career paths that university kind of like promotes, right? And so generally speaking, that's talking about entrepreneurship and kind of going down these these uncharted territories. And so we're working with them to demo out a couple pod episodes. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on actually starting to do some short form content. It'll be the first time we kind of go into content. Tomorrow I've got a meeting with our kind of content strategist. So hopefully I'll I'll walk away by the end of this week and I'll actually start shooting and editing and and, and deploying some short form content. But we are podcasting and specifically highlighting our our founders stories on this pod is very much on our radar. Um, We're just kind of in this phase of testing and seeing uh, what format works best. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think also like, the my first million also showcase that but you've got i think especially the short form um there could be a lot of virality in regards to that just by the caliber of a suit i i just i if it's done well i think it could be some potential good virality for it yeah i hope so we'll find yeah. out soon enough it's it's yeah. so hard to yeah it's so hard to make sense of like uh the algorithm these I know, days yeah. it's very hard yeah you feel sometimes you feel like you're getting punished for the most bizarre things but we, yeah uh, we're gonna give it a go so we'll see all right awesome so um that's incredible. Is there any way that um, people can apply to my uh, entrepreneur powerhouse? I'll put it in the description the website, but they do they apply through directly through you or the website application process? Yeah. So this is this is where it gets a bit tricky. Um, the the community itself is and always will be, as far as I'm concerned, like open source. In that, like, if you, especially if you're at, if you're at University of Michigan, certainly so. Same thing with Stanford. But if you are, are a founder, an entrepreneur, a creative, a storyteller that is building things for yourself, um, like we welcome you to come hang out with us. And there is really no, again, if you are in person at, at somewhere around University of Michigan or Stanford, like please reach out. We will plug you in. If you are not in person, if you are in Australia, if you are elsewhere, we have an online community right now. I mentioned on this platform called Circle. And it's kind of in this interesting uh, I don't want to say transition phase, but we're trying to figure out basically what to do with it because mm-hmm. we are we are building out pipelines to support college founders across the kind of the top 25 schools across the country. But I'm really struggling to, to see what I want to do with both founders outside the U.S., young founders that are mm-hmm. maybe dropped out or no longer near a college, but they're still in this kind of like 18 to 25 age bracket. So best thing is if you want to get involved um there are there are contact forms as i mentioned we're kind of rolling down entrepreneur power and, and rebranding as founders keep it but both websites are still live there's contact forms on both of them um also my social medias are always open i'm pretty easy to get a hold of ping me and say you want to chat um but yeah happy to whether you're near one of our hubs or not um shoot me a ping and, and we'll get you involved Awesome. That's really good. And it's also good. Yeah, it's open up the opportunity to everybody. Uh, so also, I'll also attach your social media, like your personal profiles in the description below as well. Um, so if anybody listening to this found value from the podcast, please feel free to, feel free to share with other people. Um, if you want to join Cascade as well, the link to the description in the website will be in the description below and you can apply through there as well as you can follow Cascade on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. And... Yeah, I mean, thank you again for your time, bro. Uh, I think it's been an incredibly wise and also eye-opening conversation just for college entrepreneurship and in general. So I appreciate you coming on today, bro. I really do. 
thank you for having me again. I'm, I'm so thank flattered. I'm, I apologize. It took us so long to figure this out. Nah, it's all good. It's all good. I think, and also, I think hope. I think a ton of people will find value from this as well. And I'll get. We'll share the episode around. Um, but I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. You guys are the best. Keep up the good work. Thank you, brother.